We've been preaching through James the last couple Sundays. We're going to, by the Lord's help, go through the whole book paragraph by paragraph. Too much great content in this book. Love it. It's written by one of Jesus' half-brothers. He had four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, we call him Jude, and Simon, and at least two sisters. He's called Mary's firstborn son, and she had other children. Joseph did not know her till after Jesus was born, so that he was born of a virgin completely in every way. And so he's had time at the feet of Jesus longer than any of the 12-plus disciples and the 70-plus other disciples and the men and women and the crowds and the multitudes. He's his little brother and heard truth from him and had a grasp of what a disciple is. And every paragraph in this book is loaded with truth. I thought you were going to preach a New Year's sermon. Well, this is a New Year's sermon, but it's an everyday sermon. Whether it's the end of the year, the start of the year, always you got to watch out for those New Year's prophecies. I mean, the guys that made false ones last year are going to make false ones this year, and they never apologize for their false prophecies. So you've not come to hear a fortune teller. You've come to hear the Word of God today. And so, first of all, we're going to hear Johnny Cash read our text. It is 14 verses, 12 sentences, and five paragraphs read to you by Johnny Cash. The Epistle of James, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 25. Welcome to James. We're calling this series Fixes for Fruitful Faith. That's not just cute alliteration with the letter F. We know if you're in a fix, the Lord will fix a fix to fix you so you stay fixed. 
We know if you're from Texas, you know what fixing to means. We know that if your car needs to be fixed, we know reparation, restoration is the definition of the word fixed. But in the world of aviation, navigation, and sailing, getting a fix on where you are located is important so that you can see how to get where you're going. Where we're going is the image of Christ that we're being conformed to. Can I get an amen? But to get there, it's important to locate where we are. It's called getting a fix. Old sailors and even new sailors, before there were GPSs, they would use a sextant, a compass, and a clock. Had to know what time it was, where the horizon was, where north was, where the north star was, and where the sun is. And to triangulate from those things based on the time of day to tell exactly where you are on the surface of the earth. Now that the earth's surface is mapped, right? Your GPS won't work till it can locate where you are, right? So it's important. So it is in the Christian life. This book will point out where you are. From the first chapter, it locates you and then shows you how to get to where you're going. So we're calling it Fixes for Fruitful Faith. So the first week, I'm not going to preach that sermon again, but I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't. It's available online. Honoring patience. Patience will change your life. Perseverance will set you up for what's next in your life. So many people give up. So many people get impatient. So many people resent having to be patient that they short-circuit God's will in their life. Ultimately, God's will is going to be done, right? But you can certainly enjoy God's will being done in your life with some perseverance. Last time we spoke was on honoring the pursuit of wisdom. Who knows wisdom is important. Wisdom will reduce the number of personal prayer requests. Not all of them, but most, a lot of them. Wisdom will show you what to do with the knowledge you have. Wisdom will help you reconcile with your enemies. Wisdom will help you reduce the number of enemies. Wisdom will help you make decisions based upon the resources you have and don't have. Can we say wisdom? Today... We're going to talk about blessing, the life God blesses, or how to be blessed. Now, how did I come up with that? Well, the first word in the text is the word blessed, verse 12, and then the last verse, verse 25, the last phrase says, this one will be blessed. It's like a sandwich between these two words are keys to blessing in your life that is beyond money. When you hear about the blessed life, so many people think about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a blessed life. It far surpasses just money. It can include it. It far surpasses just giving and sowing seeds for what you want and naming your seed and getting God to do what you want him to do as though he's your Santa Claus. Blessing is God's hand on your life, directing you and leading you to fulfill his will. John said, I pray that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. And those who reduce the word prosperity to money are falling short. I used to park cars at a hotel in Dallas. And one car I parked was a piece of junk. The steering wheel was wrecked. 
Roaches were living in the car. The poor person that had the car had been in a wreck and wasn't able to afford it and had a massage table in the back that we'd help her get out with as she went in and did legitimate licensed massage therapy services to the guests. But her car was horrible. And glued to her dashboard was a scripture. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The background of the scripture was money. I think it was a $100 bill, not a real one. But she had equated prosperity to mean money. God's kingdom has nothing to do with my pocketbook. It has to do with heaven's riches being done in my life and in spite of my life. So get this out of your head for this sermon. Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, he wrote, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You just think stuff will get you happiness. You just think a good credit card with zero interest will get you happiness till the 18 months is over. You can't lose with the stuff I use. You can pay 100% down in easy monthly payments to get what I want. So the love of stuff, the love of money is the root. Money is not the root, the love of it. Greed, coveting will set you up for an unhappiness. And yet on the other hand, the Bible says, Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So we want God's blessing. His blessing doesn't come with the sorrow that the world's blessing comes with. The life God blesses, how to be blessed. We're gonna go through this chapter, these 14 verses, 12 sentences, five paragraphs, a phrase at a time. How to be blessed. Persevere. If you want to be blessed, you must persevere. Here we are with patience again. Persevere whenever you're tempted, whenever you're tried, and whenever you're trialed. Whenever you're disappointed, whenever you, you are misinformed, you must persevere. Tell somebody, don't stop. Verse 12 begins, blessed is the man who endures. Can we say Endures endures temptation. If you want to be blessed, you got to endure hard times. It's not always easy street. He didn't promise his rose garden, did he? But roses, if he did, roses have thorns, don't they? How to be blessed? Look forward to the Lord's rewards. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Who wants the crown of life? It's coming to all those who love him, who endure their temptations, their trials, and trying times. Do not blame God whenever you're tempted. If you want to be blessed, don't be blaming God. Whine into him, Lord, you set me up. This is all your fault. Let no one say, verse 13, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. If you want to be blessed, accept responsibility for your weaknesses. When I am tempted, it's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Verse 14 says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away with his own desires and enticed. It's time to take some ownership, Lady Gaga. Just to say, God made me this way is no excuse. God did not make you a sinner. You were born into sin, 
And the temptations, the things that tempt you is because of your own weaknesses, and you'll never conquer them unless you take responsibility for them. Lord, I am totally depraved, and I need a Savior in my life. I love this translation. It says, when a man is tempted, it is his own passions that carry him away and serve as a bait. So look in the mirror. The enemy is me. You hear about the little boy who wet his britches? He ran in to his mama, true story. He said, somebody wet my pants. (laughs) If you want the life that God blesses, control your personal desires to commit sin. Whatever happened to self-control? Is it a foreign concept in our culture or not? Verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There are consequences to our sins, and we're all tempted to sin. But if you, if you give way to them, it can lead to physical death, relational death, spiritual death, financial death, marital death, <laughs> career death, ministry death. All sin leads to death. So we must resist it at the temptation level. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to yield to it. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, somebody said, but you can certainly keep them from building a nest in your hair. And you can tell I have no excuse. (laughs) Can we say self-control? Self-control is so important. Just to believe you're a victim of your desires and that you can't help it? We live in a culture where people are suing other people for things that's not really the other person's fault. Remember the burglar who blamed Twinkies? Yeah, when I have lots of sugar and I just ate some Twinkies, I'm tempted to be risky, and and the Twinkies made me do it. (laughs) How to be blessed. Avoid being tricked into sinful living. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, the very next verse says. The whole issue of temptation is trickery. The temptation says, just one more time. Okay, just this one time, I'll, I'll succumb to temptation. Then guess what? Tomorrow, here comes another temptation. Just one more time. It's a lie. It's a lie. Praying on our weaknesses. This is why we have each other. This is why we call a brother or phone a friend or call a sister Or run to the Lord and say, I need help. I'm being tempted. I'm going to kill somebody. (laughs) Do it. If you want a life that God blesses, recognize God is the good one. His wonderful goodness. Every good gift, verse 17 says, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is good, God is good, God is good. You can take it to the bank. God is good temporarily. He may look like he's unfair, but stay tuned. Don't tune out. God is just, and his goodness will prevail in every situation. Maybe somebody even died an untimely death. A lot of people blame God in those situations. But when you bring God into it, the story's never over. He is good. So don't blame him 
for your evil. Don't blame him. Somebody told me one time, don't blame me for your backsliding. If you want to be blessed, remember that he willed to save us by his word. We didn't have enough sense to come in out of the rain, and yet God saved us. Look at what the next verse says. Of his own will, verse 18, he gave birth to us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In John 1, I think it's verse 13, basically says that we're not saved by the will of man or by flesh and blood, but by the will of God. Can you say predestined? Can you say chosen? Now, I know that God has foreknowledge, and according to his foreknowledge, he makes his choices, but I heard one preacher take it too far and compare it to horse racing said, if you had foreknowledge which horse would win, you would put your money on a horse that's going to win. You wouldn't put your money on a loser, right? So in your foreknowledge, you appear to be predestining the horse that's going to win, but really, you knew. So God chose us because we're winners. He predestined us because in his foreknowledge, he knew we would win. That's taking it too far, folks. We were sinners, we were losers, we were wicked, we were depraved, we were debauched, we were unworthy, we were lost, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But by his grace, he saved us. All praise and glory and honor goes to him. If you want the life God blesses, learn to listen to his words of truth. Eagerly listen to words of truth. Don't just do the God thing and listen to preaching, but listen for truth that will impact your life. Now, I know this is a 16-point sermon, and it's probably going to be impossible to apply half a dozen of them to your life. But grab one of them, and it will change your life. They say you need to have three points in a poem, and people will remember the whole sermon. Not necessarily they remember one point, it's good. That's why I come at you all kinds of directions. So something's going to stick and change your life. Eagerly listen to his words of truth. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift, we say hurry up, to hear. All the ladies said, amen. <laughs> slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's talking about the context of talking about God's words of truth. By his will, he saved us by the word of truth. Let, so therefore, let us be quick to hear and slow to speak. He gave us two ears and one <laughs> slow to wrath. Anger is very important. Never forget our wrath is not righteous. You ever heard of righteous anger? God has righteous anger, but his anger is but for a moment. What we call righteous anger sometimes can last for years. That's not godly. For the wrath of man, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness of God. If you want to be blessed, self-control is of the utmost importance, especially in dealing with our anger. Anger is one letter short of danger. That's not just a cute saying for a bumper sticker. It is a principle for us to keep in mind that when we're angry, we're tempted to lose self-control. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to not endure. We're tempted to kill somebody even. 
That's why another verse says, be angry and do not sin. Why? Because anger ultimately leads to sin. In fact, the principle is be angry, do not sin, nor give place to the, the devil. So those who say the devil made me do it, ultimately it was their anger. He may have tempted them, but your anger is what led you to do that. Cain's anger, jealousy, led him to do what he did to his brother. How to be blessed. Let go of all forms of wickedness, not holding on to any form of it. We all have our favorite things. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. Can we say all? An overflow of wickedness. Overflow of wickedness. I think one translation says rampant wickedness. Lay it aside, get rid of it, run away from it. It's like a snake, cut its head off. Self-control is of utmost importance. Deal with your wickedness. If you don't, your wickedness will deal with you. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, and take you further than you plan on going. That's not original with me. That's what sin and wickedness will do. Let it go, let it go. Little girls are still singing it. I got video footage if you want proof. Let it go. Humbly receive God's life-giving word. Can we say word? His word, not just hearing it, but planting it. Therefore, verse 21, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this is not salvation by works. This is salvation at work. Your word soul just doesn't re refer to the eternal part of you. It refers to you as a whole. If a ship goes down at sea and everybody dies, no souls were saved, speaking of their life. So the saving work of Christ impacts our whole life. And the implanted word will save your soul or your lives from a lot of trouble. So this is why reading the Word is important. If you hear something that resonates with you, write it down and don't forget it. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your wall. Put it on your door. Don't put it on your windshield. <laughs> put it on your cell phone. Put it on your computer. Put it on your desk. Most of all, put it in your heart. Now, there's one religion that takes it so far. They put the Word in leather pouches and wrap it around their head so tight it leaves welts for a while. And around their arms, I don't mean to be mocking, but that's not what it means to bind God's Word to your life. It means to put it in your heart. Know what it says. We're not just Bible thumpers. We're Bible adapters. We're Bible appliers. We're Bible people. Receive with humility, meekness, the Word. So when we approach the Word, we have to be teachable. We can't approach the Word with a know-it-all. We can't, well, I'm going to see what a commentary has to say about that. No, what does the Word say to you? How to be blessed. When we're listening to the Word, listen to things to do. Listen for things to do. Let, let me say this about the book of Revelation. A lot of people are fascinated with that book. That book has this blessing in it. It says, blessed is he who reads and does what is written in this book. 
It also says, cursed is he who adds to or takes away from what is written in this book. So another pastor in town preached through the whole book looking for things to do. So he said, we're going to hear it. I'm going to read it. And as I read it, we're going to look for things to do because it says, blessed is he who hears and does the things that are written in this book. So hearing is important, but that's just half the, that's just one wing of the bird. The other wing is doing, hearing. And you got to hear so you know what to do. And you got to do so that your hearing's not in vain. Listen for things to do. Be doers of the word, verse 22, not hearers only. Some people are hearers only. Some, some people have itching ears. Some people are forgetful hearers. Some people are dull hearers. Some people are shallow hearers. Some people have itching ears. Tell me something good. Listen for what they want. They have their bumper sticker theology. Want to make it work for them because they are in charge of their life. And I'm telling you, it's a hoax it's a smokescreen. Jesus is Lord. He will have the last word. So let's humble ourselves. Now he said, fall on the rock and be broken, lest the rock fall on you and you be ground into powder. He is Jesus. I am not. How to be blessed. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can read the Bible through three times a year on your knees, out loud. And if it's not applied to your life, guess what? You've done something religious, but you've deceived yourself. It'd be better to read a verse a day and apply it than that. God's Word is alive. I'm not putting down reading the Word out loud on your knees. It's great. But we're not in this for endurance sake because reading the Word is, should be painful. No, reading the Word should be life-changing. If we want to be blessed, Always apply what God says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, we deceive ourselves. Getting close to the end here. How to be blessed? Let Scripture be our spiritual mirror. And James will reflect you back to you in ways you may not have realized. Who believes mirrors are important? They are important, right? Look at what the Word says. If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You could see your hair is a mess, look in the mirror and see it, and then walk away and forget, and your hair is still a mess. The Word shows us where we need adjustment, shows us where the Lord wants to make some changes. And we can hear it, we can see it, we can walk away and forget about it. Nothing changes. Imagine having a mirror that didn't work. It always reflected something to you that wasn't you. Every time you look in the mirror, you see Elizabeth Taylor. Every time you look in the mirror, you see Humphrey Bogart or whatever you're favorite handsome man is. That's not accurate. The Word doesn't do that. It doesn't flatter us like that. The Word lets us know we're loved so much that God gave His only begotten Son, but it lets us know we are called to repentance, that we are to be doers of the Word. May we approach the Word like a spiritual mirror so that when we see a need to change, we're blessed. Sometimes the Word gets a helper 
Sometimes a person comes to you and says, brother, I think you have a speck in your eye because you're offending people unnecessarily. I don't think it's in your heart. I don't have any logs in my eye, but I think you need to stop doing this. That's a mirror. Don't resent that. I was blessed with these cowboy teeth, and sometimes spinach gets stuck between them. And when a friend tells me, hey, you've got something you need to deal with there, I don't get upset at them. I appreciate them because I don't want to be annoying folks all day long. They're being tempted to reach up there and... (laughs) No. Be the mirror, but be kind, right? Don't whack me upside the head with a mirror, but be kind, gentle. So it is with the Word. We've got to help one another apply the Scriptures. We're not doing this thing alone. Final point, the life God blesses. How to be blessed? We need to see obedience as a lifestyle that God blesses. He who looks at the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. There was a fad growing across the land with some churches called the 90-day tithing guarantee. It was a gimmick to get people to tithe. Now, I believe in tithing. I believe God blesses tithing. The best way to tithe is right up front. Before you pay your bills, pay your tithe. Pay his tithe. It's the first fruit. Put God first, and he will give you wisdom to manage the remaining 90%. So, this was a guarantee. It was printed out like cute certificates, and churches would give it out and give people this guarantee. And if 90 days it hasn't worked, we'll refund all your money. Well, you know it's a gimmick. People are going to be too ashamed to come back and tell you, hey, it didn't work, whatever. Our elders, we actually had a meeting, discussed it, and said this reduces God to just being a money guy. He looks at our whole life. Tithing will not work if you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Tithing will not work if you're bitterness and angry or you won't keep your job or you won't submit to authority. Tithing will not work if you blow every dime you make anyway. It won't work. It's just part of living. Not the whole picture. There's a church in Peaster. John Anderson, I think he still does this. Every offering, he gives four reasons not to give. All right, we're going to take the offering. If you're not a believer, we do not want you to give in this offering because God's love is not for sale. It's for free, and we want you to receive his offering today. If you don't have it to give, we do not want you to give in this offering because 10% of nothing is nothing, right? So no guilt giving. We don't want you making vows from what you don't have. Number three, if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone, we do not want you to give in this offering because Jesus said, if you have aught with anyone, leave your gift at the altar, go make things right, then come offer your offering. And fourthly, if you can't give in this offering cheerfully, we do not want you giving because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. We don't want any uncheerful giving in this church. But the time he gets done with taking the offering. I wanted to give. Let me give. I want 2024 to be blessed, but I do not know what we're facing. 
Just because it's a new year doesn't mean anything's changed out there. It doesn't mean things aren't going to get worse. But as the world gets darker, the love of God gets brighter. You and I get to shine if we embrace the engrafted word and apply it to our heart and do not fall prey to the party spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray if anyone, first of all, does not know you, that they would open themselves up to the possibility that you love them just like they are and that you've chosen them to be here today to hear some good news. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that knows you, but they've not been following you, Lord, may they open themselves up to the idea that you love them and want them to grow and progress in their life. Lord, I pray for this to be a year of commitment to follow you, to receive with meekness your word to the point that it's planted in our hearts and it bears fruit. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for every member of this congregation that the reading of your word would be more life-changing to them this year than even hearing a great sermon or teaching. That for your personal visitation in every home, in every car, on every job, in every Bible, your personal visitation to the reader would be life-changing and transforming in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you fill every person in this room not only with the knowledge of your saving grace, but with the fullness of your spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. amen. Let's stand, put our hands on our hearts. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that is based on understanding his word. And the peace that comes from walking in the love of God towards everybody. If they hate us, it's not our problem. We love them. What they're saying about us is none of our business. We want to walk in the love of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. go get them, tigers. God bless you. Happy New Year. See you next year.